Hello everyone and welcome to our first Pensions podcast. Um, my name's Dawn Heath and I'm a partner in the Pensions team here at Freshfields. And today what we're going to be focusing on is the UK Pension Schemes Bill, which has been working its way through the Commons during the course of the last couple of weeks. And our particular focus is going to be on the wide new criminal offences that are proposed in that bill. And we've looked at those offences in various previous blogs and briefing. But as a brief reminder, what the bill does is that it proposes two very wide new criminal offences carrying a maximum penalty of up to seven years in prison, where any person without a reasonable excuse either engages in conduct that they knew or ought to have known would be materially detrimental to a defined benefit pension scheme, or it's an act that prevents the recovery of an employer debt due to such a scheme. And those offences could theoretically catch um, a very wide range of ordinary corporate activities. So they are causing significant concern for the pensions industry because you would be looking to rely very heavily on this very uncertain concept of reasonable excuse. Now, I think we all know that the origin of those offences stems from the political fallout from a number of very high profile insolvencies. But what we might not be aware of is that they're also part of a broader trend of criminalising corporate activity more generally. And to explore this criminalisation trend, how that's impacted in other areas and what lessons we might learn for the new pensions offences, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ali Salloway, who is a partner in the corporate crime team um, here at Freshfields. Um, welcome, Ali, and thank you for joining me today. So to kick off, um, I've just made a, a really bold statement about this, there being a trend of criminalisation. Can you sort of give us a bit of colour on why we think that's the case? Yeah, certainly, Dawn. I mean, it is a bold statement. It's certainly one I've been making for a few years now, but I think it's absolutely true. We've seen this trend of criminalising conduct marching on, not just in the UK, I have to say, but globally, where we've seen lawmakers, law enforcers and regulators rushing to criminalise conduct that would otherwise have been caught by regulation or civil law. And I think your reference to the offences in the Pensions Bill is just one other example of that. It's what we've seen before with responses to other corporate crises or public outcries when things go wrong and the public or media up in arms and say that those with oversight, the regulators, have generally not done enough in response. It's almost at every turn, actually, that there seems to be a new criminal offence either imagined or being lobbied for as the solution to every corporate crisis. So it, it, it's a path that's well trodden, I think, Dawn. And I mean, do, do you really think that criminal offences work in this area? I mean, are the regulators well equipped to bring these sorts of criminal prosecutions? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they do. For starters, although we've seen the number of agencies interested in using the criminal law continue to increase, it's not at all clear to me why so many regulators feel they need to prosecute criminal offences. By and large, regulators have a very wide range of avenues they can pursue or outcomes they can meet out without seeking recourse to criminal law. And criminal prosecutions i.e. investigating something to a criminal standard and prosecuting 
white collar crime or financial crime, as we're talking about in this instance, in this country, prosecuting those types of crimes, it's very difficult, even for very established prosecutors. I mean, I think I think it's interesting, the idea that it will be quite difficult to bring these sorts of prosecutions, because one of the things that I really rather worry about is that um, actually the criminal offences might not be used that often, but the threat of them will have some unintended consequences that actually will damage pension schemes and their by damaging their employers um, instead of protecting them. Um, because they are so wide and they will catch such a wide range of activities that I think there will be a real risk that people's behaviours will change, they will become more cautious and that that will, as I say, be damaging for the scheme's covenant. I mean, to take a, a very quick example, because they apply to any party, you could have third parties who would otherwise be willing to deal with sponsoring employers for pension schemes such as banks be much more reluctant to transact with those corporates because they can lend their money elsewhere without having the risk of, say, criminal investigation at some point in future because they choose to, whatever it might be, they might choose to enforce their debt, which they know will bring down the company and will cause, therefore, a consequential damage to the pension scheme. That's an interesting perspective, Dawn. But I think what lawmakers and regulators would say is that they want behaviour to change. So if you look at the bribery and corruption space and the UK Bribery Act, which has now been around for nearly a decade, I think that one of the ends, if you like, or one of the aims of that law in itself was a changed behaviour, a changed approach by organisations to compliance and governance around potential bribery and corruption. And so the mere fact of the potential for criminalising conduct in that sphere led or would lead, so the lawmakers hope, to a much better form of governance and, a, and risk mitigations to be adopted by organisations, i.e. it would in and of itself improve standards by changing behaviour. So uh, I think that is something the regulators are probably hoping for. The problem is where regulators, in my view, overreach and, and want to rush to criminalise conduct, which actually could properly be dealt with in a civil or regulatory sphere. And I have a real concern about devaluing the criminal law and its deterrent effect. If we overuse it, or if actually the threat of it's not made good, and if we criminalise conduct in, in folk who are really trying to do their best and do not have dishonest intent, or are making a personal gain for themselves. And that, that that's where I think it's concerning. So I think there are two quite interesting points that we can explore coming out of that. I mean, the, the first is that this idea that you would you would change and improve conduct, which I think suggests that there would be a view that there would be actually some sort of lacuna in the existing civil regime that meant that the civil regime wasn't doing its job. And I suppose my view would probably be, well, if you looked back at the time when 
some of these high profile insolvencies that that we talked about earlier happened i think it, it you you could say at that point that whilst the the pensions regulator had got quite a good civil armory at its at its fingertips in order to attack poor behavior it wasn't really using them to best effect but that one of the consequences of the fallout from those insolvencies was that the regulator took um, and very publicly took the view that it was going to take a new, clearer, quicker, tougher approach and really, really look to see when it could regulate, when it could use those powers. And so from my perspective, I think I would say, well, to the extent there needed to be a change in behaviour, that change in behaviour has happened both from the regulator perspective and from from corporates and, and other parties responding to it. So that actually all the things that they are doing, you would hope would be the right things that they would be the right things to do and the right things to protect them from potential criminal liability. And I don't know if that has been a similar case in in other areas. I don't think there has always been a gap that's necessitated criminal legislation. I certainly think that we have regulators in this country particularly with broad, wide-ranging powers and a very full toolbox. So I'm not sure that there's been real gap. I think there's a feeling that people want to see companies and individuals get punished. And I think there's a perception that only criminal law can do that properly, which I think is ultimately wrong. And you see that because the same people and media who are in uproar at a corporate crisis calling for heads on sticks, then actually those people, when they comprise part of a jury in a white collar crime or financial crime trial, look at individuals in the dock and have enormous sympathy for them if there was no personal gain. And that's why actually, or one of the reasons why prosecutors, established prosecutors here, find it so difficult to convict for white-collar offences where there's no obvious personal gain and, and proper dishonesty. I mean, I think that is, that's really interesting and it, it, it leads quite neatly onto the, the second point that I then wanted to raise with you. And that is... Again, the the worry that here we have the potential for this to cause changes in behaviour of the people who are trying to do the the right thing, and that won't always be beneficial to companies and therefore their pension schemes. And that concern arises because you will have individuals saying, well, the offences are so broad that my actions could be caught by them, but I still think it's the right thing to do. And I think I therefore have got a reasonable excuse, but I have no way of knowing whether that actually is going to be right. I, how do I know that with the benefit of hindsight, a jury will actually find that I had a reasonable excuse? And when that's been raised in, in Parliament by, by lots of different industry bodies, um, the Minister has sought to allay those sorts of fears by emphasising that the pensions regulator will be giving guidance on those offences. 
And my question for you is, how likely do you think it is that we will actually get meaningful and, and properly helpful guidance from the pensions regulator that would really give comfort to parties when they're taking action? OK, uh, you're asking me a question here. I'm trying to suppress my natural cynical response, which might be a very short answer. Look, I think guidance for a start is only ever as good as, as, as the detail in it. So the more nebulous and wide ranging and flexible, which is generally where governments like to go with guidance to cater for all eventualities, well, the less helpful it will be to the individual in any particular situation. I think fundamentally, prosecutors haven't enjoyed or wanted to give guidance I think prosecutors take the view they shouldn't have to give guidance on how not to commit criminal offences. But that's when you are looking at our criminal law, which requires generally a, a dishonest mental element. Regulators do tend to give better guidance, I think. Certainly, if you look at some of the guidance we've seen out of the FCA here, how helpful any guidance will be really depends on the quality of that guidance. The SFO published some compliance guidance last year. And a good chunk of that re just repeated the guidance from the MOJ's guidance on adequate procedures from the UK Bribery Act introduction 10 years ago. And we've seen very little jurisprudence on the Bribery Act and therefore not, not really able to determine even now how helpful that guidance has been. I think US prosecutors, the DOJ, published some guidance last year that I thought it was on compliance in organisations. And I thought it was actually quite good because it asks very concrete questions. It asks what concrete actions senior leaders have taken to demonstrate the right culture of compliance. And it seemed to me that that kind of granular guidance was very helpful. But uh, you know, I think it's all very well for law enforcers to say, don't worry, we'll give you guidance. Wherever you have offences that do not require a dishonest mental element, they'll be very diligent, very cautious folk who worry they could attract criminal exposure where they've just fallen down on doing their best or meeting a standard. And, you know, I'm not a fan of overusing the criminal law or criminalising individuals unless they've done something knowingly wrong. I don't think it's a view a lot of lawmakers or law enforcers share. I mean, I think, Ali, that really is my worry because um, I think it's fair to say that um, given I don't think there will be any movement in terms of what these offences look like, the real next important pillar of working out what they will mean will be the pension regulator's guidance. And I think we will have to hope that it is helpful and granular along the lines of the sorts of guidance that you have seen. So we, we will wait and see. A last question for you. Do you think there are any other wider lessons that can be learned from other areas as we, as we in the pension sphere start to have to think about criminal law in a way that we, we never really have had to in the past? Well, in terms of what you might expect going forward from lessons, I suppose we've learnt with the introduction of other new criminal offences, I suspect you may find that actual prosecutions are a really long time coming. Because not only 
do you need the offences to bed down, the guidance to be issued, as you've said, and actually for things to go wrong and prosecutors to build cases and bring cases so that you've got some actual jurisprudence on the legislation, I think that's going to be a long time coming. It takes an awful long time. And so your point, Dawn, about concern on behavioural changes or the nervousness with which people are going to be going about their jobs, I think, I'm afraid, that's going to be with you for a long time if other offences are anything to go by. Thank you. Um, I, think, I, I think that's right, albeit it's not terribly comforting. So to try and end on a less um, glo gloomy note um, in terms of uncertainty, um, do you have any thoughts on what the, the most important steps um, corporates and other parties can take um, in order to protect themselves from potential criminal liability? For, for me, I think where you're dealing with criminal offences that are not based on dishonest intent, i.e. you can commit them in a large number of circumstances where, where you might think it's there's, there's more of a negligence test, shall we say, I think it becomes increasingly important to document your decision-making, your rationale. And I think some companies and some individuals are still loath to put everything down in writing in terms of their decision-making and judgment made, just in case they're getting it wrong. But in my experience, it's better to have a really good contemporaneous record of all the actions you're taking and why you think they're reasonable. And then if you have made a wrong judgment. At least you've honestly made it and you've got a good set of uh, evidence to draw upon for why it was reasonable at that time. Because the problem with so many of these types of issues is that regulators or prosecutors look at them through the lens of hindsight. And that is often where people fall down. Um, Ali, thank you so much for for joining me today and for all your insights. I mean, it's been it's been very interesting, if not necessarily very comforting. Um, we'll obviously continue to monitor developments and provide further updates as the bill progresses. Um, and as the pensions regulator issues, it's obviously very important guidance for consultation. I think there's likely to be rather a lot to think about, don't you? Yes. Thank you, Dawn. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us.